people are naturally good at certain things. And when you grow up, you start to kind of realize what you're good at, right? Some people are good at athletics. And, um, you know, they don't have to practice. They don't have to do certain things. They just kind of get it. They get on the field. They're good at athletics. Um, I started to figure out when I was 13, 14-ish that I had, you know, relative to my peers, I was good with words. Um, I was a really big reader, and I, I, I had recognized that I could write or speak in, in ways that could influence my life for good or for bad, um, that I, I, I had some kind of, kind of gifting, if you would, with, with words. And, you know, for the next six, seven years or so, maybe still today, that's usually I get in trouble with words, right? I, I had a quicker wit back then, but... Um, and that's usually also how I got out of trouble, right? I mean, you can, you can communicate with an adult, give a good apology. Um, I had a teacher in, in college, Jamie Johns. He was, our, he was my Hebrew professor and then uh, linguistics professor. And he used to um, have a phrase he would say every day during class. And so it kind of gets imprinted on your mind. Um, and he would say, there's nothing more powerful than the spoken or written word. There's nothing, nothing in human existence is more powerful, has as much influence as language, verbal or written. If you think about it, the highest of heights of human history and the lowest of lows have all been marked by rhetoric. People who can get up and talk and inspire for good or for bad. Um, you look at the Holocaust and the way that that went down, and and um, people don't do it. It's it's an interesting. I think communicators perhaps should maybe look at this more. Actually, read some of the speeches. You see see what Hitler's communication style was. He was a he was a mass communicator. Um, in, in one of my communications class, we had a, a assignment um, which was to immerse ourselves in Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And it was a very vague assignment. It was like, become one with that speech. Like, I want you in it and outside of it, and I want you to write down as many things you can about it. I want you to learn as much as you can about it. And so I found it on Spotify, right? It's actually there. You can listen to it on the way home. Um, And I would listen to it back and forth while I was driving, you know, I'd write it out, I'd read it, um, and, and, and it's such a powerful sermon that I can tell you after, you know, 150 times of hearing it, of, of reading it, I still got goosebumps every time. I mean, it was that, it was that powerful. Um, words are, are very, very powerful. And we, we all, I think, instinctively know this because we've, we've all been wounded by words, right? Some of us, even childhood, right, have been wounded. And, and, and someone said something to us, and it's created a scar that no one sees, but that plays itself out. Um, when I was a kid, a kid on, in the cul-de-sac said something about, um, you know, my weird shoulder. And, you know, it was just an off-the-hand comment. And, and I didn't take my shirt off in front of people, um, don't worry, I'm not <laughs> taking my shirt off. Um, or it's either don't worry or I apologize. I don't know what the, what the signal is here. Um, okay, it was don't worry. Um, 
And, uh, you know, as a teenager, I was like, why don't I do that? And I was like, it's from that one kid's comment. Like, he had said that, and, you know, it just kind of gets in your mind and kind of works its way around. We've all been wounded by words, and then we probably have all hopefully been encouraged by words, right? We've been inspired. We've been at a down point, and someone said something, or we've read something, and we're able to move, uh, move past that. Um, it's a big part of the human experience is communicating and communicating through language. Um, when I uh, <coughs> was studying at Harvard on dog psychology, um, which is not a joke, um, I, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about it is they say, you know, try to imagine being a dog. If you're trying to train a dog, how confusing it must be to them the way that we use language, right? They're not verbal communicators, and they don't know our language. So they're like, imagine, right, you teach your dog down, and he knows if his front paws are up, right, down, take them down. But we have lots of synonyms for down, and we say it with lots of tones and different speeds and all kinds of things like that. And so we yell off, and the dog looks at us like, what are you doing? And we get upset at the dog, you go over there and slap the dog's butt, and he's like, what a stupid human being that I have, right? Like, what are you doing? It's like, imagine yourself, you are like transported to China, somewhere you know none of the language. They teach you like five important commands, right? And you're like working really hard to try to understand this. And then they just yell at you a word that you've never heard before. And you get in trouble for it. How frustrating would that be, right? And when we were verbal communicators, and we don't even realize how nuanced it is and how powerful it is. And how, like, just constant it is. So the average person, um, they used to say that women talked a lot more than most men. Um, the studies actually now are saying uh, it's actually pretty equal um, in the more recent statistics. Um, but the, the actual interesting part about the difference between men and women is men, though, make up the outliers. Um, so you, the men either talk really little or a whole lot. There's very few in the middle where a lot of the women are, are the same. But about 15,000 words a day. Um, so, so you're writing some books, right, with your words. Um, and um, I, I, I looked up, tried to look up in the past 12 months. I tried to, tried to get a number of how many, I mean, we've all heard these stories, right? How many, how many children have um, hurt themselves because of bullying? because of words. And, and then for a year, I was like, the number's too high, I can't, this takes too long. I was like, let me try like three months. Right? I mean, words have the power literally to give life or to take life. Um, and so it, I think, isn't a surprise that our scriptures given to us um, by the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus himself and then the followers of Jesus have a lot of things to say about how we use our words. Um, and, and what a kingdom speech habit might be like. And so let me invite you to open up to the book of James, um, which we are currently studying. We're in chapter 3 of James, and James is going to give us an um, intense uh, instruction on language and speech. And typical of James, it's going to echo a lot of Jesus' teachings Typical of James, it's going to be very direct and blunt. Typical of James, we're going to get some of his more powerful metaphors and illustrations. 
Um, and so let's, let's read together James 3, verse 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we, notice he changes that pronoun there, you to we, so he starts to include himself. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We all stumble in many ways. Again, that we there. I have that underlined. I like that, that sentence. The James himself is included in that, right? We all stumble in lots of ways. He says, but, but if you don't stumble in how you talk, if you don't stumble in what you say, you're a perfect man. Don't think perfection here in the terms of like errorless, flawless. Think like telos, the Greek word, in maturity. If, if you have some self-discipline in, in how you're talking, you're so mature, you're, you're at such a, a point in your faith that you're able to control your whole body. Um, one way you might put that is, is the tongue or your mouth might be the last part of your body to really become Christian. Right? Like, if you've got that down, probably everything else is taken care of. Um, he'll continue. Um, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. They're so large and they're driven by strong winds. They're guided yet by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member that it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Um, literally, there's the wheel of life, circle of life. Like every aspect of human existence has been stained, can be stained by the tongue and the fire that can be produced from it. And it's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature, it should remind you of Genesis, and these, these four labels here, they can be tamed, and they have been tamed by mankind. God told Adam and Eve, go and have dominion. But he says, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. We've seen James is very concerned about his communities and Christians in general, making sure that their faith translates into action. Um, that, that we don't just claim to have faith. He says that kind of faith is dead, but that we have a faith that works itself out in an actual following of the teachings of Jesus. Um, so when Jesus teaches us about money and how we use our money, James says you don't just want to hear that. You want to hear it and do it. You want to be consistent. And he says what, what happens in, even in the first century, and then, I mean, we can see this all over the place, is you have people who claim to be Christians, and then the life they lead kind of contradict that claim. And the math doesn't add up, he says. He's talked about lots of different things, right? He's talked about how you treat the poor. He says if you claim to have faith in Jesus, and then you don't care about the poor, 
it's one plus two equals four. It doesn't add up. The math is not right. There's a contradiction here. James wants consistency in our faith, um, and, and he's picking up on a theme that he's already mentioned. If you remember in chapter one, he, he tells us to be slow to speak and, and slow or quick to listen, and then slow to anger. And, and then he follows that up, and he says, um, if you can't bridle um, your, your tongue, your, your devotion to God's worthless. He started off very strong in chapter one, talking about speech. Now he comes back to it. Develops the theme in a little bit more depth. Um, N.T. Wright would say this. James here is, is, is making clear as a day that, that any pretense you might have of being devout that doesn't result in a serious working over of speech habits is a sham. It's a central and vital part of what it means to be a truly human being, to be, to be a kingdom person. To be a Christian is to learn how to talk again. James here says, I want, Jesus wants the Christian faith to produce people who are a blessing people and not a blessing and cursing people. That's the contradiction, he says. He says, how can the same mouth have blessings and then curses? The math doesn't add up. If that's what you're seeing, right, on, on a day-to-day basis, you need to, you need to go back and, and check your work. You need to go back and, and see what went wrong, where, where you carried over the zero wrong. Faith leads to blessings. And, and so let's be clear, when, when we're talking about blessings and curses, um, James is not, and I don't think really any place in the New Testament, is talking about actual words, like curse words, like cuss words, okay? Um, he, he's talking about the way we use words, to bless would be to encourage or to build up. To curse um, would be to tear down or to divide. Um, I subscribe to a philosophy of, of linguistics, of language, um, that, that says words themselves, right, the sound you make with the air in, in your throat, it has, that actually itself has no meaning. It can't have meaning. Words have meaning by context, right? So the context of who you're talking to, both of y'all's experience, the words you put around it, that's what puts meaning into that word. Um, and, and so because of that, I don't think there's like, I don't think you can make a list of words that are off limits, right? Um, and you'll see this, I think maybe you've seen this, I've seen this. There are certain words that I say a lot that and the older generation, generation above me, two generations above me, are like kind of get offended by sometimes. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be at a, a big retreat speaking, and I'll say, you know, I got pissed off at God. And I'll see, like, people get pissed off at me. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's maybe more of a my crowd type of thing. Like, maybe I should be more careful about that, right? When I taught at a high school, it, it was really bad because the kids would get written up and go to the principal for saying crap in, in, in one classroom, and then They'd come to my classroom, and I would say crap, right? And, and it was just, like, really confusing. And, I mean, you can think about how words change. I mean, this is, the, I think, the proof in the pudding, that words themselves are contextual in meaning. Because words change all the time. The meaning of words change. Um, think of how we, how we use the phrase, that sucks, right? Um, when I say that sucks, that this week sucked, I mean it was bad, Right, I didn't like it. 
It wasn't fun. And I'm putting no more thought into that. There's no more meaning into that word or that phrase, right? Um, But for a previous generation, that was a living metaphor. And that might be highly offensive, right? To us, it's what we call a dead metaphor. We still use it, but we're not thinking, like, that's not what we're trying to tell people, right? Um, words change, but, but, so he's not talking about, like, specific words here. And I would, I would say one of the things Christians do sometimes to try to get us off the hook with some of the commands we have in the Bible is, is we shortcut it. And so we say, okay, we're, we're supposed to be blessing people, not cursing people. We have these scriptures about um, how we should use our language. Um, and so let's make a list of the 15 words we can't say. And then we're good. And for most people, they're able to do that. And they can sleep really easily at night. Because they didn't say this word, and they didn't say this word. And they only say this word in traffic, but those people deserve it. And, and, and they didn't say this word. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the environment I grew up in. And I, I watched... And was told over and over, right, I got in trouble if I use a certain four-letter word um, just because somehow inherently those four letters were wrong. Um, and then I watched the same people destroy people without using those words, right? I mean, you don't need that list for the fire to be set. That's what the Bible's talking about. It's not talking about some kind of legalistic list for you to set and, and then kind of shortcut the whole process. He's talking about how are you using your words in, in the context of, of relationship and community, not individualistic, spiritualistic, like just have I not done these you know, five words today, but, but am I building people up? Because you can, you can avoid a whole lot of offensive words and still, still, I think, be way out of bounds for what the scriptures would say a follower of Jesus should be like when they open their mouth. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the kind of rug we maybe put under our feet and it needs to get pulled out, right? Um, I'm not saying all words are, are on the table. It's a different talk for a different time. I'm saying the point here, right, is, is, is are you blessing? Are you building up? Are you encouraging? Or are you tearing down? Are you, are you, are you, are you dividing? Are you hurting? Um, he, he starts off here with this, this command to be teachers, um, which is horrifying. He, he says, not many of you should become teachers. I wish I would have read that a long time ago. Um, you know, some people wonder if, if the communities James is writing to, there's a whole bunch of people trying to get their voice heard and be, like, influential. And he's like, calm down, like, you need to be careful if you want that kind of like power influence over people. Um, and he, he says, and then he switches to we, which is a little comforting, but, but he says, they'll be judged with greater strictness. And some people take that very literally, right? Like if you have this position or that position, there's actually a different standard for you. Um, I think though in context, he follows it up with, for we all stumble in many ways. In context, I think really just kind of simply what he's saying is, be careful if you want to be a a teacher, because just by virtue of being a teacher, you're more vulnerable to being judged for the way you use your speech. 
you're taking on a vocation where you just talk and talk and talk and talk. And so you have more opportunities to fall and to stumble. I think the flip side of this, um, another way maybe to put the same point would be if James is saying, be careful, think through it if you want to become a teacher. Think through how you can hurt people and, and, and hurt communities and families. The opposite point of that would be, be careful who you listen to. Because someone, right, who is not leading in the correct way or, or using words in the correct way has the ability to set that fire. I, I think, you know, in our, our, our political arena right now with the 24-hour cable news network, right, be careful who you listen to. And there's this, there's this you know, I was told five years into, into pastoring the church, um, a lot of the things you're not going to like about your church, you're going to realize are just the things you don't like about yourself, right? And I've, I've kind of found that a little bit to be true. Um, you know, I'm not real comfortable going out and evangelizing. I'm more of like, I want to reform the church. I want to get Christians to be better Christians, right? And I've got to be stretched out of my comfort zone to go and do that. Um, and, 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 and in some ways, we've kind of done that as a church. And one of our goals is going to be pushing outward, pushing outward. Um, and I think as parents, you've probably seen this, right? Like, usually, you like are like, God, I hate that about my kid. And then you're like, oh my gosh, they're me. <laughs> and then you hear your parents are like, one day you're going to pay. You're going to experience the best is when you've had to deal with it for like 10 years, they finally have a kid, and they're complaining about it, and you're like, yeah, welcome to the game. We've been, we've been doing this for 10 years, and now you get to deal with it every day. Um, right? It kind of reflects. You start to pick up the, 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 the atmosphere, the vibe, the, the, the words that they're um, giving. Are the people you're listening to building up? Are they tearing down? I mean, a lot of times, just the way it's set up, political rhetoric is primarily cursing. It has no, it has no, sometimes no other goal, right, than to demonize and divide. There's no constructive. There's no, there's no positive. Um, and and you got to be careful. Just be careful, right? Be careful who you listen to, how much of it you listen to, or at least be able to spot it, right? And be like, okay, and maybe in this political season, right, you're trying to point that out about this person or that person, but, like, that's not how speech is supposed to work. That's not how our speech is supposed to work. Um, and he says, if, if you don't stumble in what you say, if, if you've got that self-discipline down, you're perfect. What he's saying here, I think, is your speech is probably one of the best markers of your maturity in your faith. Like, if you want to see how far you've come in your faith, you know, get a recorder and, and see what your, your, your speech is like. In different situations, at different times, composite, how do you talk to people? Has that changed? Are you intentionally trying to bless people? Do you find yourself unable to control your speech? Do you find yourself constantly regretting your speech? Do you find your speech often doing things you didn't mean for it to do? I mean, that's not always a great excuse. Just, oh, I didn't mean it to do that. 
well, yeah, after the third time you've said that, you should learn a lesson, right? You, you might not mean it to do that, but it happens every time you do that, so stop. Um, he says, if, if you've got that down, man, I mean, you've kind of got the rest of it down. It's, it's, it's maybe easier to get the adultery thing down and, 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 and the murdering and the lying thing down, but, but man, he says, it's a restless evil. 15,000 words a day. I mean, just constantly pouring out of us, always waiting to come do something. And he gives us these rich metaphors, right? He, he says it's kind of like a bit you put in the horse's mouth, so this real small little piece, this very powerful animal, and it guides the whole horse. I don't know if you've seen this, like, you can put a 60-pound little girl on a horse, and, and that horse can be completely controlled by that girl. I mean, that thing can just flip her off like she doesn't exist, right? But that small little thing shapes the direction. He says, look at our words. It, it sets our destiny. It sets our course. The same thing, he says, think of a large ship, this huge ship, right, with strong winds. What, what tells it where to go? It's that tiny little rudder in the back. And then he introduces a, kind of a new element to the metaphors, like human will. He says that's controlled by the will of the pilot. All the pilot has to do, right, to get that big ship to move, he doesn't have to get 150 guys to go jump in the water and start pushing. Just tiny little motion on that rudder. Huge ship turns. You don't see it in the English and the Greek. It's uh, James having a little fun. The words for large and small there um, in the ship analogy are the same word. Uh, it's just, it means just like to the extreme. Um, he's trying to contrast, right? This large ship, this small little rudder, and just like our tongues, it's so small, but, but with the, just the wrong desire, the wrong will, in the slip of a moment, it can set a destiny for a relationship or for a community or for your own personal life. It's a small member, but it does great things. It's got a ton of power. And then he compares it to a fire. And out of this, out of all the, the, the comparisons, here we get like some destructiveness. It starts to go into how the tongue can, can maybe be a, 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 a bad thing at times. It sets the world on fire, stains our bodies, it comes from hell. Um, you know, the small fire, he says, could set a blaze of forest. I've got, a, I've got a big lighter in my office. And I'm told if I wanted to, I could take that little spark and I could burn down this entire building. Which, I mean, is tempting because this is awesome and I'm a guy. And surprising because this is such a well-constructed building, right? I mean, you'd think this is fireproof completely. Um, small little spark, right? Huge consequences, We might want to look on the insurance. I don't know. We might come out, like, on top on that. Um, I guess that's recorded. No, that's not good. Um, When James is is, is talking about speech here, he's actually tapping into this strong Old Testament tradition, right? If if you were to go to the book of Proverbs, um, which contain these these aphorisms, these truisms about life, um, try to give you wisdom, you'll find one of the key markers to godliness in Proverbs is 
speech. That's how you talk. And there's all these cute little proverbs, and, and they all kind of say the same thing over and over again. The way you talk can hurt or help. And then it's not just a call to be nice all the time, because the, the proverbs will also say, sometimes a mean word from a friend turns out to be like a delicious meal. Right? Sometimes a word that kind of hurts, like when you're speaking truth into the life of a friend, maybe needs to hear something that, that they might not want to hear. They can, they can be a blessing. So this isn't just like a blank call to like, just always be the most blandest, nicest, suburban, kind person ever, right? James is saying, think through, be intentional with your language. Because if you're not, it's this small little spark, and it's going to set this fire, and I'm sure we've all experienced it, right? The words come out, and then you have no control over it. I mean, it just goes and burns up everything. And you're like, I didn't even want it to go over there. I mean, I wanted that destroyed, but I didn't want it. And I want it over there, but you have, you have no control over it. The words come out, and it's, it's like a power. They move. James talks about how hard it is to tame words. He, 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 he says, you know, human beings, impressively, we can tame pretty much most animals. And this is like pre-Sea World, James is talking, right? Um, he hasn't seen the Shamu show. He's like, look, we can tame a lot of animals, um, I mean, think about a killer whale, right? I mean, we can get it to do tricks for us. Whether it's a good thing or not is up to you, right? But it's, it's at the very least, wow, right? Human beings get in water with those things. They can kill them in any second they want. But yet, for the most part, we can kind of just turn them into tricks for us. And he says, we can do all those things, and you can't even control your mouth, though. I mean, you can control a lot of things in the world, but you want to try to control something hard? Watch how you talk. And you're going to find that, that it might be easier getting that water with a killer whale or get that dolphin to jump. It's, it's a restless, restless evil. And he gets to the, his, his point with the consistency, right? He says, how, how can you come and bless God the Father and then go and, and curse people made in his image who he loves, who he sent Christ to die for? And the answer is, how do you do that? You do that if you're not translating your faith into action, right? If you're hearing but not doing. If you have the kind of faith that doesn't work, that has no action, that James says is useless, it's dead. It can't even save you, he says in chapter 2. He says the math doesn't add up there. If you come and you, you worship God, and then on Monday through Friday, you go and and just pour out vitriol out of your mouth and insults and, and tearing people down and gossiping and dividing and, 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 and causing doubts and, and, and doing all these things. He says, look in a mirror. Like the, the, those two things don't come out of the same mouth. And so if you're finding these cursings coming out of your mouth, that's going to tell you what kind of mouth do you have here. And he's drawing heavily here on Jesus himself. So Jesus uses this actual, this metaphor, right, of the fig tree, and, and he uses it with language. He says, whatever comes out of your mouth, that's the key term that he's in, James is going into Jesus. Um, Jesus says, whatever comes out of your mouth um, reveals what's in your heart. 
And so this is, James doesn't give us instructions. That's the kind of frustrating thing here. James doesn't like say, you know, here's how to tame it. He's kind of like pessimistic here. You just can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> if you could, it'd be pretty good. You'd be perfect. But um, nope. <laughs> can't tame it. Send fires. But I, but I think the key here is to follow him into Jesus' teachings, where Jesus goes, look, it's like a tree, right? You, you watch the fruit it produces, and then you can tell what kind of tree it is. He says, that's what the mouth and the heart, that's how they're connected. What's out of your mouth is what's inside of your heart. And, and for Jesus, it's always going to be a heart issue first, right? So the mouth would be like a symptom, um, which again, you could fix theoretically the symptom. You could, you could fix the speech and still have the heart issue, right? And still never get to the core of what it is that's, that's really happening there. Um, it's that, that the whole, you know, you, you, you squeeze an orange, what's going to come out of it? Yeah, I mean, when you're in pressure, when you're in conflict, when you don't have time to think about the implications, what's coming out? And he's like, that's going to be your best clue to what's really just sitting in there. And if you find yourself, like, just constantly needing to put other people down, he's like, take a, I mean, do a heart inventory there. What does that mean about how you understand your, your union with Christ, your relationship with him? the identity that you have as a child of God? I mean, do you need to necessarily compare yourself to everybody? Would someone who's content in their identity be the kind of person who needs to tear other people down? That's where you would go, right, if, if you found that that was your speech problem. It, I, this, I just have to, right? I have to bring people down to my level or below, or I have to constantly, like, wait until I can add my little, like, specialty, right, and, and show people, yeah, I'm up here, I'm up here. He goes, go back there and, and, and think through, like, what would a content heart look like? A content heart would probably be really slow to speak, really quick to listen, and really wouldn't have much of a desire to insult, no need to insult, not much of a desire to brag, envy, jealousy, anger. Right? I mean, these are our heart issues that, that come out in our mouths. Um, I think you, you might have witnessed this maybe in a workplace environment. Uh, I see it a lot in church and ministry settings. Usually the wisest people in the rooms in the room is, are the ones who speak the last and the ones who put their foot down the least on an issue, you know? And then there comes that time when that wise person who's slow to listen really speaks, goes, hey, this, this is a bad idea. We can't do this. And everyone's like, oh, no. <laughs> if he's speaking up about it, right, he doesn't do this casually. He doesn't just trigger this all the time, right? No, it has to be my way. It, g- it gives you some, 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 some like, legitimacy, Now, this is the person who's content with where they are, fine with their ideas maybe not being implemented all the time, but someone who can recognize the situation and then speak up when necessary. 
they have this 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 um spiritual maturity that I think you can kind of like feel if you if you've ever been a part of that if you ever if you ever witnessed that um, people who, who who are slow to speak and and quick to listen and, and slow to be angry um, and so tapping into to Jesus teachings at the heart and then you look at what James says he he, he says in verse eight no human being can tame the tongue. This could just be a very pessimistic phrase. I mean, it's kind of a sad message, right? Like, your tongue can be really evil. Sorry, you can't tame it. Have a great week. (laughs) Maybe he's implying, though, that we can't tame it, but, like, with the Spirit's help as followers of Christ, it's possible to be tamed. And, And he, he says at the end here, my brothers, after the blessing and the cursing, he says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Um, more literal, casual translation of this, like if, if I was just reading from the Greek, would be, um, these things don't have to happen. This is not necessary. Like, you don't, you don't, you don't have to be using words this way. Why not? be blessing people and not just cursing only people. And so here's, here's, the, here's the, the thing we get into with passages like this that I think should be able to convict most of us. Um, I'm convicted, and, and I kind of want to stop teaching because for today, uh, I don't want to be judged. So, right, I mean, it's not that difficult, right, of a lesson. Almost at any time, you can probably go to most people, especially Christians, and say, hey, Let's think about how we talk and try to improve it, right? Let's try to intentionally encourage one another and use our words for life and not for death. And then if we find that most of our words are producing death, let's do a check here. Let's maybe have a, a, a heart-to-heart with ourselves or with God or with one of our community members. Um, but it's easy to hear, okay, yeah, I need, to, I need to be better with my speech. And then just not do right? Which is James' whole thing. You hear it, and then you just don't do it. You look in the mirror, and you walk away, and you forget it. So, so just as if you wanted to, here's, here's I'm going to give you homework if you want to do something, right? You can come up with a better do list if you, if you have it, um, but if, if you just want a do list, this week, find someone that you have cursed, that relationship that you blew up, that person who you, who you you knew the wound and you knew it was open and you ended it. And go and, and seek reconciliation. Go and say, look, as a follower of Christ, I use my words to hurt you there and I want you to know that I'm sorry. I want you to know that I want to bring life and, and what I would encourage you there is pick a hard one. Pick one that maybe doesn't go well for you. Not like the person who's always going to be like, oh, it's, no, it's okay. Yeah, let's go get lunch. Coffee tomorrow? No, like maybe the family member who, like, is estranged. Who doesn't deserve, right, you to call them up and say, hey, I shouldn't have said that. Because there's plenty of things they shouldn't have said. But call them up and say, hey, That that wasn't how I should use my language. 
I know that that wounded you, and I'm sorry. I don't want to do that. And then three times this week, be intentional, like creative. Put some energy and effort into it. And, and use your words in a way that would build up somebody's life. In a way that would add, add energy and encouragement and life to somebody. And again, I would say, like, try not to take the easy way out here. I mean, I mean maybe it's a person you don't know very well. Maybe it's something that's going to take more than just a quick text. Because following Christ is a lot like just building habits, right? You've got to hear it and you've got to do it. And the more you do it, the more it becomes second nature. The more that's kind of how your heart becomes. It gets transformed. And then you get squeezed and all of a sudden just filth doesn't come out. You don't say anything at all. And you're like, where did that come from? I'm slow to speak. Like, oh, it's because I practiced for a couple of years. Like, I, I was thinking about it. I went out of my way to, 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 to think this through and, like, acted it out in real life, which makes us think it through in ways that we never would imagine we'd have to think through. That kind of intentionality about it. James says, we have so much power, good and bad. Unfortunately, so often with our words, we unintentionally or without even trying, um, or by trying, just destroy and, and destroy. And, and we, we invite gossip, and we invite division, and we tear people down, and we, we insult them, and we, we find the button, and we push it, and we position ourselves against them. And he says, for Christians, that's it, not how it ought to be. So don't just hear the word. Let's hear it, let's do it. To be Christian is to develop a new way of speaking. And James is not after perfection, right? He says we all stumble in many ways. He includes himself there. He's after progress. He's after progress. What are things we can do in our lives that would, that would help us start to live out the followings of Jesus um, echoed here in James about how we should use our speech. Um, and then let's make sure that's rooted in our heart and in our, our identity in Christ. That's so not just moralism that we add on the top, like another like, thing to do just to be a good person or to earn God's favor. But that is something that like, flows naturally out of a heart. It's just content, peaceful, known, and loved um, by the God who sent his son uh, to die for us and who has promised us eternal life with him. Let's hear and do. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. I thank you for the time you've given us this morning. I thank you for um, the scriptures. I thank you for passages that challenge us. Uh, I pray that we would be um, not people who hear the word and don't do, but people who hear and do. And, and so I pray that um, this week and, and beyond we would... Um, go out of our way to, to make progress in, in how we, we speak and, and how we use our words and how we um, seek to, to bring life with our words and avoid ways that, that we destroy and tear down um, 
Father, I pray that we wouldn't find easy ways out by making a list of words you can't say and then you don't have to think about it anymore. I pray we'd constantly be analyzing our relationships. I pray that, that you would give us the incentive to speak life into other people the same way that you gave life to us, which is unconditionally, not because we deserved it, it's not because that person might deserve it, but it's a pure act of love from a heart that's been perfectly, purely loved. And so we, we pray, Father, that your spirit would, 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 would bring your presence down on us and that it would translate into actions, that we would be people who look like Christ and act like Christ, and in that acting, find the life you've promised us. And we pray all these things in the very powerful name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.